everybody. I'm Dale Sparaghi, love and relationship coach and host of this podcast, New Wave Relationships, about all things relationships, relationship to self, others, more than other, couples, singles, breakups, and dating. What's new in relationships and how relationships are changing and evolving especially post-COVID, post-digital, post-Me Too, and sadly to say, post-No-Roe versus Wade. So we're talking about finding love and losing love, creating lasting love and lifestyle. I'm thinking of this as a forum for relationships. So please, if you have any burning questions, send them in. Or here's something novel. If you'd like some coaching, if you're struggling with something in your relationship and you'd be willing to do the session here so others can benefit, please email me at dale at creativecorecoaching.com. Hello, everybody. This is your co-host and producer, Sunny Hibbets. Don't forget that we post our episodes bi-monthly on the second and fourth Friday of every month on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. For updates on the show, please consider following us on Instagram and Facebook at New Wave Relationships Podcast. Today on the New Wave Relationships Podcast, we will be having a special guest, coach, therapist, yoga instructor, and LCSW, Marissa Nasca. Marissa Nasca has been working in holistic wellness since 2007, having a legacy in helping families, teens, and adults. She typically works with people struggling with anxiety and depression. Her background as a yoga instructor is useful to her clients, where she often uses meditation, mindfulness tools, and somatics. She also, not to mention, has an amazing sense of style and humor, making her work just so much more enjoyable. How are you guys? Well, I'm pretty good today. I'm excited to be with you and have a cool conversation. It's finally sunny in Oakland today, so that's good news. <laughs> Feel yeah. that? Cool. So good to have you, Marissa. And we're we're a threesome today, which is it's kind of our <laughs> it's new for us because it's just been me and Sunny. So it's beautiful to have you here with us. And um, I'm getting over COVID, but hanging in. So um, breathing will be really good during this oh, episode. Yeah. Breathing, yes. In general. Yeah, breathing <laughs> is good. <laughs> I feel like that's one of Marissa's favorite things is breathing. Well, a lot of the time when we're having wild thoughts or feelings, you're not breathing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's super true. Dale, did you have something to say on that? Yeah, no, I, I noticed that. That's very true. Yeah, it's kind of like we're, we're uh, wound up with something. Mm-hmm. Marissa, when was the... So you have a um, philosophy on your website. Is that still pretty relevant for you? Do you, Can I read it to you really quick? Sure. Okay. So um, Marissa Nasca, right, as you know, we said, is a therapist, coach, generally a holistic wellness person, helps people with things. Um, and a philosophy that she has on her website is 
My philosophy in working with youth and adults is to share cognitive and mindfulness techniques in a supportive and safe setting to help my clients make positive changes in their thoughts and actions. Utilizing personal accountability combined with humor and lightness, I aim to help clients cultivate compassion for themselves so they are perhaps more willing to experiment with these new tools. Yes. I think just a shorter way to say it is I want everyone to be nice to themselves so that we don't use shame as a way to stay stuck or to move forward because it's bad for both. And so in giving people um, or exploring with people what could be a different perspective or if their thoughts are true, which they're never really true, um, you know, and creating a lot of space for everybody to have all their feelings without any shame. Um, that's where I find people get like teed up to make changes is when they get over that, those kinds of things or get through those kinds of things. And one of the barriers that often happens is we have this idea that um, I've seen so many times in me too, like I shouldn't feel this upset. So people want to skip the feeling part and just fix it, you know? And so I try to create really safe, funny because life is funny. It's hilarious. We're just all responding how we respond because we're humans. Space for everybody to have all their feelings. Validate all of those because whatever you're feeling is valid. It just, it just is usually fueled by thinking patterns and um trauma or experiences that you've had that sort of keep it stuck, you know? So yeah, I, I'm trying to use any way into the, the shift, which could be your body or your breath or, um, you know, thought restructuring or just a different perspective. I use relating a lot, you know, relational kind of stories. Yeah. You know, Marissa, um, now, today, people are doing, you know, they're kind of joining like the Eastern Buddhism and mindfulness with therapy. But you have been doing this like for, I mean, when I met you, I met you, you were my yoga instructor. And, and so I'm curious as to, you know, you started kind of joining these together, mindfulness, yoga and therapy. How did that happen? For you, like over a decade ago, when really nobody was was actually doing that. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, well, you know, when I went to grad school, I went to a pretty traditional grad program. Now there's all kinds of grad programs that incorporate these things very closely together, like you know, CIIS or Naropa, which which both existed when I was going to school. But I went to a very traditional you know, grad school program and um, in Denver at the University of Denver, which was a great program. But I, I was burnt out in, um, in grad school. And my friend took me to yoga to like a really sweaty, wild yoga class. And I, ha I had, re I realized when I was in the, I left being like, how does anyone do this more than once a week? This is wild. I'm so <laughs> exhausted. And I apparently didn't remember I had a body because I'd just been thinking and writing and, you know, doing internship, whatever, so much that I, I wasn't connected. And, um, 
I just started to feel, and there were a couple people, teachers in my grad school who were pushing these ideas as well. Like I started to feel like these are not the mind and the body are not they're they're not disconnected. You know, there's no there's no way that um, one can be great and the other one is terrible. You know, like fully because they're so intertwined. There are of course certain circumstances with chronic illness or things like this, and you can have positive mindsets or grounded mindsets, for example. But so I just kept doing yoga and then I got really thirsty for the Eastern knowledge because I wasn't, I, you know, I went to, I grew up in Ohio. It wasn't like a, so I just started studying Buddhism, all different kinds of Buddhism, all different kinds of Hinduism uh, ideas and um, philosophies about the mind of Ayurveda and, um, and then I met people along the way. So one of my grad professors was teaching yoga um, in like programs for women, uh, domestic violence shelters and things like that. And, and I just started to meet people who were on, on board for this. And like one of the most clinical ways I got into it at first was dialectical behavioral therapy, mm. which is a really particular... Yeah, it's a really particular set of skills that you do in a particular order. And I realized that they were mindfulness based. But what I felt harsh about was the way they were implemented, because the way that I am is I'm like, everybody needs to implement things the way that works for them, not in this rigid kind of structure. So I had an opportunity in one of my first jobs to rewrite dialectical behavioral therapy curriculum for youth which wow. that curriculum was originally designed for women with personality disorders, which we could talk about that problematically in a whole other way. Um, another, another women experiencing episode. life, maybe, I don't know, you know, but yeah. um, so I, I got to look at why those aspects might be useful and was utilizing my yoga training. Cause I went right into yoga teacher training after I found yoga, maybe two years, oh. two years after uh, two, I think I graduated the first, of 20 yoga programs in 2008. So, um, wow. And, and, you know, I love speaking to that point of being burnt out within your brain with all that work you were doing at school. And then here you are in your body. And, and what I, what I'm hearing is how much the body has to offer in terms of information and wisdom. And it sounds like you got that. So tell us more about what being in our body can do versus just always up in our heads. Oh, yeah. Well, um, you know, the mind has a lot of ideas about what should be going and how, like, how things should be going, how we should be feeling, what I am capable of doing what someone else thinks about me, what my body has a very different experience, you know? And so let's say, for example, just to keep it really simple, like I am, I run a little busy minded. So sometimes at night I make a list of what I want to get done the next day or what's on my mind about what I need to look for. You know, maybe it's, quite long usually because it helps me sleep if I get it all out. And then in my brain, I'm like, I'm going to do that tomorrow. You know, (laughs) then you wake up. And one of the basic skills that I teach people right away with this work is to take like five, 10 breaths when you're, you could do it right now, whatever. And you might have heard me say this, Dale, 
in yoga, I say, okay, out of a hundred percent, a hundred percent, meaning like, oh yeah, I can take the day on. I am great. I slept well. I feel great. Zero percent is, you know, you're really sick or, or whatever out, out of that. What percentage of energy do you have today? Yeah. I have heard you say that. I remember that's really important. And so let's say, you know, I wake up with 60% energy. If I'm keeping it real with myself, Mm -hmm. there's no way I can do a hundred percent of what my brain thought I was able to do. And so what I try to help people with is we're not looking for a hundred percent all the time that will do burnout a hundred percent of a hundred percent, right? It's like, we're looking for a hundred percent of whatever you wake up with or whatever you've got in the moment. And whatever you've got in the moment is not what your mind thinks. It's what your body is telling you about. You know, you go to work out and you're like, oh my God, I'm tired. You thought you were going to be able to get through it. And these are just like really basic ones, but there's other ways that the body talks where someone will, I, I've always been very sensitive and very emotionally in tune and empathetic. It maybe got me in trouble sometimes um, when I was young, but, um, and, and recently, you know, in adulthood too, because I can sense things that maybe other people can't even sense that they're doing. Right. That's a so, real- so, you know, you'll have like a, someone will say something and you'll be like, I don't believe you, but you think the thought. You don't, if, unless you're practicing somatic work, you, you might like when that happens to me, I get like tight in my chest or my throat or something. I'm like, uh, uh-uh, that's a no. Mm, wow. So when you start to pay attention to when, and we might, people would call that, uh, intuition or, you know, empath behavior or whatever. And and I agree with those words, whatever works word wise. But for me, it's more practical in the sense of your body has a language. It will tell you about it. If you don't listen, it's going to smack you down. Right. I I also think it's actually also a, a very evolutionary thing too, a little bit. Like there's for so many decades and years and this is just me popping off the back of my brain so I'm gonna do the best I can but um I think for so many you know generations as like a species per se like we're in these tribes of species um there's you know how language is developing and there's so much less of the like kind of um complex and elaborate ways of interacting with each other and it's a lot more in the body it's a lot more of how someone looks like looking at a predator and this is getting into like limbic brain um stuff and the animal brain which i'd love to hear you talk about because i in your work i've heard you talk about the kind of how much the limbic system is so relevant and we always forget it but this is like for generations we've been having our bodies tell us stuff but now everything is so complex. Everything is so written down and showed into our face in these words that, you know, we just get so caught up up there that everyone's so disconnected from here. And I think that goes to so many things. That's why we don't eat very well. That's why we don't go outside. That's why we were having problems in our lives with our bodies, all kinds of stuff like that. But, um, limbic brain. Yeah. I mean, what, you know, one of the, one of the things just to speak on your previous point, like is that I see a lot in my office is people are like recycling um, evidence or or thoughts about something that upset them. Right. They're, they're looking to justify 
either their feeling state or the other person's feeling state. And they use a lot of words. And so sometimes, and like, you know, language is, is kind of all, all we have in certain ways, unless you're practicing doing like word language, you know? And so sometimes I'll say, stop and make a noise. How does, what is the noise for this moment? You know? And I'll be like, or something like that. Great. And I just feel like, you know, children do this, dogs do this, whatever. It's like, it's so much more to me visceral and relatable than hearing all your words about it. And of course I want to hear all your words about it because however you think anything is going down is important to how we shift, how you, how you think about everything so you can feel differently. We're never, I am never trying to change anybody's feelings. That is not the work that I'm doing. I am trying to help you hold your feelings, move through them, and possibly challenge the thought structures that hold them stuck or that keep you from feeling peace, whatever your goals are, really, you know? And the limbic brain comes in to answer your next point because, you know, a lot of times we get what we would call like triggered or something like this. And you can just sort of pop into that fight or flight. and, and it's hard to make good decisions there. It's hard to be calm. It's hard to communicate. It's hard to be receptive. And so, you know, um, one way went, is like helping people notice when they're in fight or flight and then practicing some mindful or body skills so that you can at least come back into a more regulated brain state to have whatever kind of conversation you need to have with yourself or anyone else. Yeah relating to yourself is kind of what you're pulling towards in this. And also with the idea of like, I just want to step back two steps and then we can step forward two more. But um, the idea I think of making a sound is really cool because it, right, the complexity of our language and, you know, getting so stuck in the hypotheticals. I've had conversations with friends of mine recently who are, you know, really, you know, I will see them discussing, you know, what's happening for me in kind of this anxious attachment dating dance that happens where you're just all in the hypotheticals. You're not even realizing what's happening right in front of you with that. Like, you're just scared. Like you're not going to have that love that you think you could have. And that's like the simplest part of it. But there's all these hypotheticals of how you dress, how you, you know, you're going to mess it up and blah, blah, blah. But I think it's interesting to, to kind of pull out of that and just authentically let out of you something like a sound it's almost like an art piece um and i think that's a way of relating to self which our show is about relating to self so dale i don't know if you have any well you know and the other thing that i'm hearing which i'm loving marissa is that the that the body has a language so it's kind and what i know about mindfulness is that we need to be here right we need to be where we are right now so that sound brings us back Mm-hmm. The brain takes us wherever on all these journeys, but but what you're doing, and you even mentioned, which I would I which I'd love to hear more about, is body skills. Like, what is the language of the body? So, what is what does it mean when my throat is tightening? Or even some people may not even have that consciousness, like that awareness of oh, my throat is tightening right now. What what is going on? Right, yeah. so. I, I'd love to, to for you to talk more about that the body piece of it because it's so not talked about. If really. if you have a if you have a book on that, please send it to me. Not 
like a guide, a guide that says when I, when it feels this, it means this, right? That's what my mind wants it to be, right? We have a book for you to write, Marissa. (laughs) I'm working on, you know, writing down some of the skill sets that I like to teach. They've, they've all been taught before, but the thing is, is like, they've mostly been taught before, but the, the, everybody's body speaks differently. So if I were to say this means that that would be nonsensical. So, and Dale, to your point, I, you know, to me, I've always felt these sensations. I don't, you know, blessed and cursed in this way. Mm -hmm. And I never really had language or could, could explain what was going on until I started, um, dipping more into yoga and then realizing somatics was a field that I could look into for this, you know, but, but I, I, I'm surprised sometimes not so much anymore. Sometimes I'll offer a somatic and and like a tool and my client will be like, I didn't even know, you know, that mind blown that there's, and so there's like in, in the therapy world, there's top down processing, right. Where we use the mind to explain like what's going on or bottom up processing would be accessing body knowledge first. And then, you know, the mind would interpret what that is, you know? And so like, they're both useful is what I would like to say about it. Yeah. But to me, the more neglected one based on what Sunny was saying about how technologically advanced we are and how assaulted we are with information and how that has created a lot of anxious brain patterning um, because of so many stimuli all the time, honestly. Um, And, you know, when I was young, you didn't get to know every single detail about how successful every other person that you ever met was. And so the pressure to, so, to so, yeah. you know, like reinvent the wheel or whatever just wasn't as harsh as it feels now. Um, watching the youth go through the comparative kind of dynamics. And so, you know, when we're on social media and in our heads and talking about why someone didn't invite me to their party or why I got dumped or whatever. It's all like, ding, 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 ding. you know, everybody wants the words about it. And what I try to help people with is let's use words when we need to, but how do you feel? Mm. Can you keep it real with yourself? You don't have to do a single different thing. You don't have to change your behavior. I'm not forcing you. You don't have to even change your mind, but can we be honest with our, whatever words you're using, could you be honest with yourself Mm. and then tap in? How does your body feel with that truth? Wow. That's so powerful. And you know, because we're all about relationships here on this podcast, the next big question is how does all this work? And I mean, I'm kind of getting an impression already how this applies to relationships couples relating like being in your body and relating wow what a different experience (laughs) I I definitely feel like it's something that everyone's trying to figure out to a certain extent unless you're asexual and like maybe that that but that only concludes to the sexual area you can be romantic and be asexual which asexual means to our listeners you do not have um like a sexual drive so you don't have sex um and you that is your sexuality but my point was kind of like a lot of people are trying to do that so uh yeah definitely do tell us about that well well I mean one of the main 
operating principles for my practice is almost everybody and me included are operating on um, stories or wounds and they're deep. And most people, if you haven't looked into it before, you wouldn't be able to say like what your core wound is or what, where a place that you got hurt a lot was like abandonment or maybe those thoughts, like I'm not good enough or, you know, there's, and it'll manifest in kind of like frivolous, frivolous, meaningful to us, but like small, small instances. And then when you dig a little, it's like, I never feel good enough. I've never felt good enough. And everybody carries that as well as their familiar, familial patterning. Um, Mostly how you were dealt with emotionally in your family or how you related emotionally in your family unit, whatever your family unit was or your closest relatives. And then we walk into relationship, friendship, romantic partnership, child, parent, whatever, all kinds of relationships. I think it applies to all of them with that patterning. And a lot of times what I see is it's like pattern against pattern instead of we're on the same team and I want to understand why you respond that way. Or I want to, I want to understand why I respond that way. This doesn't feel like that big of a deal. Why am I, is my test chest tight? You know, and personally how I've tried to practice this is through learning about codependency and learning that my feelings are my business And I don't always have to share them. And in fact, that's not vulnerability sometimes. So we've also learned that if I'm having a feeling, I need to tell you about it right now because that's a vulnerable thing to do. That's like one kind of way that we've learned to relate, you know, that that's the vulnerable thing. But from my perspective, sometimes that's really manipulative. We're trying to, we're trying to win or we're trying to have bigger feelings than the other person's reason for doing something. And so we share our feelings and, and disguise it as a way to connect. And actually it's like a way to win. Ooh, wow. That is really deep. What you just said, because, (laughs) because the word vulnerability is thrown around so much and it's so supposedly, you know, good to be open and raw and in your feelings. and But what you're saying is that maybe there is some ultimatum under that or, or, or an agenda. That's a little scary. Right. Well, this terrifies a lot of people, including me when I started looking at it. But it's like what I've learned is that my feelings are my responsibility. And that doesn't mean that I never share them. I'm not like a steel trap. But let's say let's use an example to sort of express what I'm feeling. Let's say I'm in relationship with someone and there's I don't know, like. I have a jealous moment or something, or they do something that makes me feel jealousy. And I I feel my face get hot and my chest gets tight in the past. What I would have done is be like, I'm jealous. And because of that, I'm going to tell you all my fears. I I was in a relationship in the past when someone cheated on me. and And this is why I'm having that response. And then the other person is kind of like, Oh, I learned that about you, which is useful to know, not usually in that moment, but whatever, you know, they're, they're like, okay, I'll try to be mindful of that, whatever. But, but you've, you've sort of taken away, like you've turned it into like an excuse for why I'm allowed to like be upset about what's going on, which like everyone's allowed to be upset about what's going on. You don't have to have a reason. 
So what I do now, instead of that, is I say something like this. So as not to be like avoidant, you know, it's like, I'm having a big reaction to what's going on right now. I'm having a lot of feelings. I'm not sure which of them I want to talk to you about or what we need to speak about them, but I'm okay if you ask me about it later, or would it be okay if I bring it up later? Um, For now, I'd like to focus on the day we're having and just move forward. Yeah. Oh, I like that. And you know, so that that happened to me a, a, a few weeks back with my partner. I was having some stuff. And I, I I didn't know, you know, what you were that didn't strike me what you're saying, but it does now in the sense that I wasn't ready to bring it all to him. But I but I was reactive and I and he needed to know. So I yeah. said, yeah, there's something going on with me. And and I'm not ready right quite not right now to talk about it. But that is how I dealt with it. So I love that. Like yeah, naming good. it and saying, you know, because you have just getting it out there so that you're not avoiding and you're not like sitting on it and like, you know, holding your breath and have all this reactivity. Yeah. And I want to be clear. It's, it's not to like suffer alone or work things out alone. It's just like, what is my business and what is my partner's business? And the more clear we can be about what our own business is, the better our communication is. And I call it kind of like, I usually describe that as over narrating because people feel uncomfortable saying, I'm having a feeling about that, you know, and I don't want to tell you about it right now, but, but, you know, because it sounds like a lot of words, but, but, but otherwise get, people are guessing, you know, I didn't get what I was doing, but you're naming what I was doing. I had, yeah. a, sense. I had and, a sense that I didn't need to go into every little detail in that moment. Well, because we're in a heightened brain state usually. And then I'm like, later, what I've learned about me is that later I would have said one fifth of what I said in that moment, which would have gotten the same point of across, but much smoother, you know? Well, I I think that, I think um, oversharing can be a way of kind of thinking that you're grounding a situation because it makes you feel better. Or building intimacy. People disguise oversharing as building intimacy. Yeah. But often we're sharing stories you've regurgitated a hundred times. They're not vulnerable. So like my other reframe back to what you were saying, we were talking about earlier is I think the most vulnerable thing to do in relationship is to sit with your own feelings. Totally agree with that. And take some space for yourself to feel disappointed or threatened or like that's the real vulnerability. And that that is is what I'm trying to help people own in relationship practice. That's huge. I I, I think that is really, really huge. Yeah. I love that. The self-responsibility piece. I think that. Yeah. I think that also kind of uh, relates back to our previous episode too about um, holding space for jealousy, you know, because it's like we were talking yeah. a lot, which this episode will be up today when this is being recorded and this will yeah. be posted next week, the episode we're recording now. So t- go check out that episode for sure. Yeah. But um, it's our monogamy yeah. designer relationship polyamorous episode, I was talking a lot about um, jealousy in my experience and um you know, I kind of went with this person, I kind of went in between the oversharing, but also like really stepping back. 
Um, and yeah, I definitely think that the oversharing and that, um, really explaining your experience when it makes you feel better. There is like a body feeling you get um, when that moment comes up of like, Oh, I need to tell them because I'm going to lose them and all that. But also when you have, you know, through getting yourself kind of caught in that moment, that pause of where you kind of have like this, two roads you you can go you can go towards it and you can try to cleave it you can try to grab it you can try to you know like kind of like go in that attachment dance area or you can like go take care of yourself <laughs> it's like what you gonna do you know that that's a hard place to be at and I guess I'm I you know you've talked about you know your somatics and stuff but getting to that other road you know yeah there's a, I just also want to be clear there's a fine line especially for people like, so let's say one of your patterning, one of my old patternings was victim stance, you know? And so it was always everybody else's fault while I was having a problem. Right. Yeah. So then I, so then I'm, I'm occasionally an extreme person. And so I learned, I, I started learning about what we're talking about. And then I decided I went like fully the other way, which was like, I'm responsible for everything and I do not need to burden yeah. anyone with any, that's not also not right. So sort sort of yeah. like the dance that I try to teach is like, where, where is, where's the line and it's blurry and you're going to screw it up or you're going to be human about it. But if the intention is to be accountable for what is mine, which would be all of my past any past lover, any past relationship, any past scenario and be present like we were talking about earlier. So mm-hmm. to answer your question, Sunny, it's like how that could show up is in the moment that I have that jealous thing, I feel it. I feel I feel um, anxiety uh, show up as like tension in my hip flexors or I my stomach comes in or something like this. I know I'm triggered that, because I've practiced noticing when I'm triggered. So why it's useful in relationship is like, you'll have the feeling and I'll be like, I'm jealous because, but there's also a body experience going on in that moment, which can be like, oh, Maybe your thoughts are all over the place, but I feel that hip flexor. I'm like, I might be jealous right now. Huh? I'm going to be mindful about what I say next because I'm in an emotional pattern that I'm not sure. It could be that this person needs to hear all about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. They might, they might need to, but they also might not. Right. Like how much of this is my, you know, and that's where I was. How much of this is me going back to like an old childhood you know, pattern or strategy or, or wound that I have to own. And how much of, is there something real, like actually happening here? Right. And that's where I was. So, and, and a lot of it is, you know, like you're in relationships. So you have this interdependent thing that you're doing. So it is about communicating and being interrelating, but you're all, but yes, you have your own stuff that you're owning and you're holding and you're being responsible for. So I hear right. what you're saying and that's complicated. That's that is not easy to to always do without no, in- help sometimes and awareness and practices. Yeah, I was going to say in the work that I've been doing with people who are inquiring about this um, or who bring these issues to therapy, either in couples work or in dating work, 
Um, we're going through sometimes case by case scenario, you know, and being like, oh, oh, that's where it was until you start to get some footing about it, you know? And, um, well, I like that because you're not supposed to already know this. We weren't taught how to, how to do it this way. You know, we were taught this other, this other thing. And we're always trying to like, accidentally in the past manipulate or get people to be how we want them to be so that I can feel calm. And, but the truth is coming from yoga and otherwise acceptance is really important in relationship, Mm -hmm. accepting what my own triggers are, what my own past is accepting how my partner is, how they want to be. And it doesn't mean I have to like any of it. That's not what acceptance is. Acceptance is really receiving things as they are, when you're receiving things as they are, you're keeping it real with yourself and you're trying to have personal accountability for the, it's kind of boring sometimes. So what I've found is people are, and me sometimes are slightly addicted to the drama of it all. Mm. Yeah. And, well, and this is part of the relational patterning. It's not anybody's fault. It's just it's how you know, and like you know, people talk about passion or things like this. Sometimes it's trauma bonding. Sometimes it's you know, through upset we get closer or things like this. You know, and and um and th- this is not to to diminish any of those ways that we've connected in the past. And it's also not to say it's very different when you share in a disagreement. I'm like this because. Mm-hmm. And also, you don't know why you're like how you are. So it's kind of a story anyway. But let's just say it that way. Later, after this, you can say, man, I have a lot of wounding around my dad. And, you know, I, I think you should know that as my partner. I'm not sure how it relates to what's going like. So because we want people to know us. Yeah, well, and, I think <laughs> and we need people to know that about us. Right. Yeah. Because then. Because then we're not, and we need that for ourselves. So we're not projecting. Right. right? Like these people aren't our fam. They're not our parents. They're not our family. They're, they're who they are. And I think sometimes if we're not aware of those patterns, we will project those onto others. And those people will become someone that they're really not. And we're not seeing clearly. Right. And we can create really healthy if patterning between each other if we know this about each other. You know, it's like exactly. so. So, like another uh, example is like I remember dating someone who was really sensitive if I didn't explain like what I was mad about right away, mm-hmm. and I I was trying to take responsibility for what was mine. And so what I would say to try to soothe him because he had an inconsistent relationship with a caregiver who he never knew where his mom was at emotionally. And then it would surprise him a lot. I would say I'm having a moment and it's not about you. Yeah, that's a good one. If I noticed him getting anxious about my mood, I would say something like I'm having a moment and it's not about you. I promise, you know, like, let me just take care of it and I'll come back. And you know, that would like soothe sometimes uh, (coughs) his mind. Yeah. That's taking care of each other. Right. But not in a codependent way, in a thoughtful, respectful, kind way. Like you're, you're, you're aware of what he went through and you're being kind to him and showing your love for him. So I think, yeah, that's beautiful. I think um, one thing that I've heard you say before um, is also like, um, 
I guess it's also on your website typically is like you have the hummingbird as kind of a, a symbol for you. And, um, you know, you brought it up in your classes before that the hummingbird is only going towards where the nectar is. Mm. And that's a really important symbol is the nectar is like the, um, you probably will have the right um, history behind this, but like, you know, just the spirit juice, right? Like the, the good stuff, the good energy um, and not going to where the flowers don't bloom. And um, when it comes to when you have some, a partner who's having a hard time and you're having a hard time and you're honoring where you're at, it just takes practice and having these types of conversations to know what is a good time. It's almost like we don't always know what a good time is or what the good path for us is. Cause I, what I hear you saying is something that like, you know, not always something I would think of, right. When you're kind of on this anxious attachment path and, you know, like kind of on this generally dysfunctional dating experience that becomes kind of this, this blanket over your life for a while is once you learn and hear and see like, oh, like when I do come into myself, that's where the nectar is. That's how you find it. So um, I don't know. I think, I think it's these type of conversations that tell us these things of, oh, go to what's good. What is good for you? That's the next thing that's good for you. The next thing that's good for you. I'd love for you to go into that because you, I've heard you say that before. Well, yeah, I love hummingbirds. Um, They're definitely one of my spirit creatures and they do remind me um, they're the bliss seekers, you know, in, in the stories about them in a lot of cultures, they're the nectar suckers for sure. And they don't suck dead flowers because they can't, they would die. They move on to the next beautiful nectar filled flower quickly. And now humans, we can't, we just try but we, we suck dead flowers all the time. And then we, we like keep hitting a wall with relationships or conversation patterns that do not provide us with nectar. So one of the ways that I use the hummingbird medicine is it's like, if you want something from your partner that you think is nectar and they're not giving it, there's nothing there for it go look where the love is in your life. Where is the love in your life? Is it with your animals? Is it with your job? Is it with your friends? Stop it with the stuff that's not, you know, that's not acceptance. That's like trying to create nectar in places where there is none. It doesn't mean anything bad about anybody. It just means there's no nectar there. Wow. And the hummingbird is so blase about it. They're just like, bing, 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 bing. You know, like they're, they don't even like one flower more than the next. They're just like nectar, 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 nectar. Not necessarily that we should take it to that extreme, but we could learn a lot from just moving on. That's so good. That is so, such a gem. And I also um, wanted to kind of go from that a little farther with them, um, with your perspectives, with these things and how you relate to yourself, others. And, you know, you've spoken a lot on that here, just like with grounding your body, um, understanding codependency and things like that. I'm also really curious since we touched on a little bit of like how you find your place with this work kind of in the world, kind of in the universe, broadening out that way if you can, because, um, you know, you're in yoga and I, I don't know, I find you have a very strong energy to you. So um, I'm super curious of just like how you find your place in just this web of all these things that are happening right now. You know, when we have COVID, we have 
volcanic eruptions in Iceland. Of course, I know that because I'm obsessed with Iceland and Norway, but, um, you know, uh, climate change and just intense things. Like, how do you move what you're doing in this, you know, kind of one-on-one person to then these group sessions you do with yoga? How do you, do you go farther with that? How do you feel about that? Well, I am working on larger scale things, but honestly, I feel the magic is in these one-on-one interactions, even just with my friends and myself. If I can change how I behave with relationships close to me, it's sort of like the butterfly effect. You know, it just ripples out and everybody gets to experience what it's like to have a different way. And it's actually attractive. People like it. They like talking to me because of a lot of reasons, I think. I don't know. But you know, because I'm trying to practice these relational things. So everybody's really safe all the time around me. I'm trying not to judge everybody all the time. I'm not telling anyone what to do. And I will create really firm boundaries instead. That's kind of how I deal with things. And so in the scheme of where I fit in with all the crisis and and trauma and drama and, you know, relating and all that, I, I just want everybody to love more and work on what that actually means because it's in the love that we're going to heal all the things that, um, that are troubling us right now. Because if we stop having an opinion about what everybody else should be doing, that's actually the love, you know, then we wouldn't be writing laws that limit people or things like this, you know, it's a deeper topic politically, but I I just really think love is the answer to all of it. And real love is not about having it the way you like it. It's acceptance and honoring um, things as they are and trusting people and creatures and the path of all things um, from a high, you know, like a, a universal love perspective, not romantic love as we talk about it, you know. You mean like a agape almost kind of? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, kind of the, right. It's not the kind of romantic love or the pretty love. It's just like the, like seeing you for who you are and, um, having like an honoring for that or a humbleness to that, a humility to that. I mean, love as sweet as it is, is really fierce too sometimes and has really intense boundaries, um, and, and really deep lessons for us. It's not always, you know, pleasant. It's, it's painful. I mean, grief is love. The, you know, I had a deep experiences with grief this year and my depth of grief was clearly equal to the depth of love, you know? And so it's like, you can't grieve without loving. You can't be mad. You can't hate somebody without loving them. You you know, you wouldn't care. Right. So, so all these other, you know, words that we put on, it's really love based to me. So I guess, you know, that's a long way of saying my position is to remind everybody, like if we're operating on love, there's a lot to work with and there's a lot that you can move forward from at the same time. And so finding out what's true for you is really helpful. And so practically I do it in my office one-on-one or with couples. Um, I have done coaching programs for relationships. I have a workbook about relationships. Um, it's it's not published because it's in the course, but um, it might be. And, um, you know, a lot of my conversations are about relating with people. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Adele, did you have any last ads on that? Or do you want to take a pause now? Cool. Yeah, let's take a pause.
And we are back from our nice pause. Hello, welcome back. Um, I think Dale wanted to start us off with a question she's been wondering about. And also, our before the pause was super, super great. Just want to say that one more time. It was really great. Um, but continuing forward, yeah. Dale, what did you want to ask about? Yeah, I mean, talk about philosophy, Marissa. That was like the most beautiful philosophy of love that you just expressed. So thank you for expressing that here with us. Thanks for the <laughs> on, opportunity. <laughs> on new wave relationships. And what I would what I'm curious about is you're a coach and a therapist. And I am only a coach, so not really in the realm other than, you know, going to a therapist. How do you determine um, who does what, who comes in for coaching? Who comes in for therapy? How can you help our listeners figure that out too? Like, do I need coaching? Do I need therapy? Oh, yes. It's tricky sometimes. Um, a lot of people who reach out to me meet me in a certain context. And although I present the same in almost all contexts that you would ever see me, I'm offering different things in different contexts. So sometimes I offer intuitive readings and tarot as a lens. Um, and sometimes I offer really skill-based like time management or communication I don't want to say dry because it's really deep, but it's not based on what happened in your childhood and we don't need to work out a lot of details about it. So, and this is not to say that coaching does not go deep. Therapy is more of a long-term relationship where maybe patterning has existed um, for reasons that you don't know and you don't understand and you need a good space for someone to help you've, you know, find where these things came from and some really deep healing, because a lot of times what happens is I've gotten people that have gone to coaching and then accidentally opened a trauma can of worms or something like this and did not feel taken care of fully in, in those settings. And there are plenty of coaches that are trained to deal with trauma. I understand that. And so at this point in the field, it's sort of difficult to differentiate who's for who and what's for what, but I kind of trust my clients. And if I have a sense that it's very clinical, I would either mention that and say, I won't do coaching because I'm afraid of not being able to support, you know, the clinical things that they might need or, um, you know, I'll refer, refer out sometimes, mm -hmm. but yeah, people usually meet yeah. me in a particular context and the context kind of determines what, what we're doing. Yeah. So it sounds fluid. And, and, you know, if some trauma comes up because you have both, you could go into the trauma where a coach, you know, I mean, we deal with, with some trauma, but we, but there's a limitation of really, you know, I, I'm not trained in trauma really. So um, there's kind of a fluid flow. And, and sometimes the coaching turns in, it's, it's tricky because I have to articulate what we're doing at the start. You know, they have different Mm -hmm. So if we're in entering into therapy, you're going to get my therapy agreement. My behavior is pretty much the same, like, you know, uh, confidentiality and all that stuff is all the same, like across the board, but I'm very clear about what we're engaging in. Now, sometimes what happens is someone will take my relationship course, for example, and they'll realize that they have deep wounding 
around relationships that needs more time and space. And so then I'll, we can enter the other realm, but it's a very clear conversation, or I actually might refer them out and keep them in the coaching realm, like keep building skills this way and go deal with that with someone else, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, it's case by case. Um, it is tricky given how the field is right now. I will say that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're kind of merging a little bit too. It feels like, it feels like coaching is going deeper. Therapy is becoming more present, um, you know, oriented, not, you know, like being in in the past and, you know, for forever and staying there and, you know, going over it and over it. So there's feels like there's kind of some interweaving. Yeah. And one of the things that I think makes it especially tricky for me is one of my main inspirations for working with people is, is how the brain is functioning. And that's really useful in both coaching and therapy. Yeah. yeah that and would. so one thing I try to, you know, which is for both, it's like, you're not your fault. That's what my meditation teacher, Wes Nisker used to say to us, you are not your fault. You're a Uh, math problem (laughs) resulting from the algorithm of your entire life, everything that has ever happened. So anything that we don't like about ourselves or we don't like that's it's like, it's not your fault. It is your responsibility at this point to use it and go forward. And how we utilize it and go forward is often very explainable by brain science plus relational kind of work, you know? Great. Yeah. Thank you. Good answer. Yeah. And, um, no, thanks for doing that. I'm I just got my degree in psychology and holistic health bachelor's and I'm still figuring out which one I want to go for with how I see the world going and what my needs are with that. And oh my God, is it hard to decide? Because there's so many coaching programs and like therapy schools expensive, but I keep thinking CIAS. But then I also want to go to Norway and do Viking religious studies. But like, you know, I can't. That's that's just a pipe dream. You know. My best advice is go where you're called, like what, what feels the most interesting and to go way back to the question at the beginning of like, how did I land doing this work 10 years ago? You know, at least when no one was doing it, I had a sense that they were going to align somehow and I didn't know when or how. So Mm. actually the other answer to that question is I pushed separately. (laughs) Mm. I was a yoga teacher separate, 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 separate. And I was a therapist. And, you know, of course, some of the ideas were mixing, but I wasn't advertising it as such. I didn't know how to, I didn't know who my mentors were. And then like, I remember maybe four or five years ago, I was teaching yoga and psychology as like the curriculum person at Yoga Tree in San Francisco and was like, how did I get here? That's totally this how is I precisely do. what I thought I would be doing somehow. I don't know how it happened, it all, but, but it's breadcrumbs, you know, you just follow your, your heart and your, your body really. How do I feel in this program? How do I feel learning this? Oh, that resonates so much. It's, there's a reason things resonate, you know, it's about what speaks to you. So, you know, keep, Karma. keep reading. That's how you find your good teachers and all that is like, go where That's the, go advice. where the love is. That's such good advice. Yeah. That's- totally like dharma and how i feel with mm. my studies with paganism and psychology also, psychedelics and farming someday it's against the, the kind of capitalist behavior a little bit you know because it's not like do everything you can to get all the credentials so that you can it, you know yes that's all really great if that's what is um sparking you you know right yeah and um 
Thanks for sharing that. I, I appreciate it. I think that's really good advice for the youth right now too, because it feels like, how do you, how do you do anything? <laughs> that's how I feel. <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah, like it's just uh, uh, existential climate dread uh, owns me. No, it doesn't. I'm doing better with it. Okay. Anyway, continuing. <laughs> but um, question um, I had that kind of references to um, our podcast name, you know, and uh, we are new wave relationships and we're discussing a lot about how relationships have been changing for a long time and how we see them changing and our perspectives with them changing and how we feel in that. And um, I was just wondering what kind of, are you seeing any cutting edges in the work you're doing? Anything that's erupting within relationships or changing within them that you didn't see maybe when you first started your work or that you didn't see in your house growing up or things that seem positive or maybe even not so positive, but just a, what edge are you seeing? What is the, you know, what's growing from there? What's the new wave there? Yeah, it it's, you know, I, I think I don't know exactly, but what I do know is technology impacts the way that we connect a lot. And something that's been going on is people get quite vulnerable in like texts or like Instagram DMs or something like this. And then like kind of don't speak in person. This is what I'm hearing from a lot of young people. And that it, you know, creates confusion or like people can only be vulnerable when they're behind a screen. And in some cases, you know, and th that's one thing that I think is at play that is changing how, how we relate. And we're actually, you know, like when someone recommended to me a couple of years ago, earthing as a, like standing on the ground with your bare feet, we're going backwards. We're going back to all the getting sunlight, you know, peeling back all the technology and all the noise about stuff and sticking with what, what is real, um, is the shift I'm hoping to help facilitate and see. Um, and, um, you know, another thing that's definitely changing things, of course, is the, the conversation about gender and, uh, sex and, uh, traditional family roles or whatever we would say about, about any of this, um, is, is a bigger conversation now. And a lot of people, I think you did a podcast on like designer relationship. It, it's sort of like that. I think people are feeling more confident now to be able to allow back to, you know, acceptance and allow uh, people to take whatever kind of role or position that they want in their relationships and really celebrating each other for those things instead of expectations around gender roles or, or things like that. And because, Families are what they say that we say they are and relationships are love is love no matter what to me. And, it, you know, it's sort of like it's up to the individuals about how they want to share and express and tell me that they're happy. I believe you. If you're happy, great. I don't have an opinion about how it needs to look. And I think that's different. Like we're not trying as a therapist and a coach, I'm not trying to get people to a certain place other than their own happiness. I'm not trying to get their household to look a certain way or their communication even to look a certain way. It's just, we're exploring what works for them and practicing honoring that even if it's outside whatever norm we learned about or something like this. So I guess I see really, I hope, and I see relationships going in a direction where we have more freedom to be ourselves and celebrating that and trusting that the way we're doing it is good and okay. Mm. Wow. What a, what a way to end. That's, that's, that's such a gorgeous note to end on. 
Thank you so much, Marissa. Yeah, thank it was you so much. So beautiful having you. It was my pleasure. So happy to see both of you. I can't wait to listen to some of your episodes. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, maybe we'll have you again sometime and you talk more about in the future what other projects you're working on because you have some stuff coming up, right? Yes, it's unscheduled right now, but it's we're getting it on the calendar. Um, the best way to hear about what I'm offering is to follow my Instagram, which is just my name. Yeah, I'll definitely tell everybody about that. So thank you so much. Appreciate it. Marissa Nasca. Thank you again. Thank you. You can participate in Marissa Nasca's therapy, coaching, and wellness work by visiting her website, marissanasca.com or her Instagram at marissanasca. Don't forget to check out her upcoming content, all in which we will have linked in the episode description below. If you would like to join the conversation, please email Dale and I questions at sunny.nwrpodcast at gmail.com relating to anything dating and relationships. Please tune in with us every time we upload for more integrative conversations relating to the self and other. If you are interested in Dale Sparagi's relationship coaching, please email her at dale at creativecorecoaching.com for private coaching sessions. See you next time on New Wave Relationships.